0: Welcome back to Beyond PR Podcast. It's our second season and this is episode two. I am so excited about our guest today. Here are a couple of highlights. International thought leader. He's an entrepreneur, philanthropist, humanitarian, and most awarded male Canadian country music artist in history. He is the singer of the famous song, which I love, Alberta Bound. And if that doesn't give it away, I do not know what will. He was also inducted into the Canadian Country Music Hall of Fame as a musician, a songwriter, and a performer. Here with me today, I'm so excited, is Mr. Paul Brandt. Mr. PB, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. It's great to be on here with you and and to be able to just get caught up and chat today, too. So thanks so much for letting me uh, be a guest today.
0: Thank you. This is awesome. So, you know, I have to start off this podcast with... The fact that we are in the world of COVID. I'm sure you've gotten this question many, many times. But how has it been for you and the family?
1: You know, its it's been really interesting. I think that you have to just put out there and admit that this is, has changed people's lives in, in a way that none of us really could have ever expected. But one of the things that has been really interesting about it for me is my career path over the last 25 years has been about embracing the unexpected. The music industry is probably one of the most uh, entrepreneurial pursuits that exists. And so, you know, we wake up every single day going, "Hmm, I wonder what's going to happen now and how can, we, how can we give the world something that it needs through creativity today? And it's been like that for 25 years. And so when COVID happened, it wasn't so much of, oh no, what are we gonna do? It's what can we do with this? So you know, our first reaction to this was, okay, our daily lives are going to be disrupted and the kids are not gonna be going to school like they normally would right off the get-go. Everyone's gonna be at home together. What can we build? What can we do that is looking beyond the situation and taking us to you know what will hopefully become you know a little bit more of a sense of normal again? There's a thought that I've always been inspired by. is a proverb that that I, I just I really like to kind of keep in the back of my head in hard times. And it says that those who plant through tears will will reap with tears of joy, and mm-hmm. uh, or shouts of joy. And so, so this idea that when you plant something in hard times, there's a payoff for it. And I was trying to figure out what, what we could do with the kids that would be a physical representation of that. And so we built garden boxes.
0: I saw that on Instagram.
1: Oh so, yeah, we were working on these garden boxes together. It was like dad's shop class and, and we built these boxes. We put them in place, we planted them together. And this fall, um, we're pulling out the beets and the carrots and the potatoes and we had lettuce through the whole season. And it was a real physical reminder that when you persevere in difficult times, there's a payoff for it. And that's been the biggest takeaway for COVID for us, I think.
0: Do you think from a family perspective, because I've been talking to, you know, a lot of different family dynamics and as much as it was fantastic for me to be home with my kids, it was (laughs) also cuckoo. What about you guys?
1: Yeah. You know, you, you learn about creating space. That's for sure. Because everybody needs a little bit of, you know, alone time and recharge time. and, And it just feels like it's relentless. When you're there, you know, kind of in each other's faces all the time. And so we yes. tried to figure out ways to do that the right way. And, you know, I, I think that Liz and I, we have a bit of an advantage in these COVID days because, you know, when we were married, first married, we got on a bus with 11 musicians and we did 180 shows a year. There's, there's 12 bunks in this space and you're, yeah. you know, you're on top of each other all the time. And, and so you get really adept at figuring out, you know, survival techniques for how to spend a lot of time with a lot of people in a small space. And so we've employed some of those techniques and some of it is just getting out, going for a run, going for a walk in nature, doing things, doing things that you can kind of get away on your own with, but also embracing kind of this craziness in some ways where it's like, what can we do together that we might not have ever had the chance to do? We play a lot more games. It's a bit of a make work thing where it's like, how can we make the most out of this? And, and you know, there are times where we're pulling our hair out and we're going, and how do we get our kids off of our devices and all this kind of stuff, right? I, mean, I know. Let's, let's be real, right? I think that it takes a little bit of a an intentional and deliberate approach where you go, okay, It is what it is. How do we make the best of it?
0: I think Shane and I needed that bus trip when we started (laughs) up. (laughs) We, I don't know. I'm like, you're just, you're just too close right now. Like you just got to go find something to do. But it's, you know what, at the end of the day, I think we're all learning from it. And I think to your point, learning from something and doing something about it is always important too.
1: I think acknowledging the need for space is probably the best first step so that you can just go, okay. I love y'all, but, you know, (laughs) I need a moment.
0: (laughs) Exactly. What about on the performance side, though? I was thinking, like, I knew I was having this podcast with you, and I'm like, gosh, you know, he must miss it. And I saw a post on Instagram where you're like, I miss this. And it was you on the stage, almost like doing a split for your guitar. You must miss a little bit of that, of course.
1: Yeah, I love that interaction with an audience. And knowing that you're doing something that's moving people. That's, that, that's something that's really kept me motivated, you know, for a long time. But again, you know, just about not focusing on the things that you can't do. It's focusing yeah. on what you can do. And I try and discipline myself to that through this process. And so, you know, I've been working on a book for a while. This has been giving me time to be able to focus a little bit more on that. One of the things that refreshes me creatively is to do a lot of reading. And so I've been doing more of that. And it's preparing me for whenever we get back into a little bit more of a sense of normal, to be more refined and to be able to be better at what I do. And, you know, I, I tend to be the kind of person, this is a shocker to a lot of people. But I tend to be the type of person who actually really thrives as an introvert. Most people see me as, oh, you're the guy on stage with the guitar doing the thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's a switch that I have to flip so that I can get into the mindset of doing that. But I really enjoy these times where you're sort of behind the scenes and you're you're able to create and build and think and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, in some ways it's been a really good thing for me too, and it's let me focus on a few different things. So I yeah, I mean, I can't wait to get back with crowds again. That's going to be wonderful. We're hoping that will happen with the Calgary Stampede next year, you know, with it being canceled this year and and the plans will be for me to be there to headline every single night again. I know. We don't know what that'll look like, but pretty stoked about it. Pretty stoked about getting back on stage again.
0: That's, that's awesome. You mentioned this introvert guy on stage and I was actually going to bring up a question later on, but I'm going to ask it now. So are there two personas of Paul Brandt? Like I'll be joking with my brother and I'm a complete goofball with him. And then he'll look at me and go, I have no idea how you can run a business. Right. And I'm just like, it's a different Shauna. So there's, there's obviously different personas for PB as well.
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, I've I've always Literally seen it as a light switch, like a little light toggle that I turn on and off. When I'm in creative mode, the light switch is off and, and I spend a lot of time burning candles and incense and being by myself and reading books and writing and thinking and, and you know, just sort of strategizing all that kinda of, I just I get refreshed by that. And I think that's what puts the ideas in my head to start a new project, whatever that is. You know, we're working on a project right now with the city of Calgary that I'm I'm calling the beauty of pursuit. And it's a way of encouraging people to come to Calgary from a tourism standpoint, but it's also a vehicle to be able to tell stories of perseverance. And I've been working on a film project with the city of Calgary related to all of those themes. That takes a lot of thinking and strategizing and planning and how do I best get this story to make sense and get into people's hearts. So that's when the light switches off. But then when I'm on camera, once the thing has been created, whatever it is, right, whatever, okay. the, whatever the content is, the light goes on and it's, hey, I want to hang out with everybody. You know, it's time to have fun. And, and I love that. Like I, th- That is definitely a huge part of me as well. But for me, it takes a lot more risk to turn the light switch on just personally. Yeah. And I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm a risk taker by nature. I would say that I, I have had to develop a habit of being, of taking risks. But for anybody out there who's listening today that thinks to themselves, oh, I could never do that. I can't be the guy up on stage, or I can't be the one delivering that speech, or you know, Zoom calls drive me crazy because people can see me, or whatever it is. Just know that even people like me who are on stage in front of hundreds of thousands of people, we have to get ourselves into that mindset first. Don't feel bad because you don't Naturally, feel that way because there are a lot of us on stage who have to flip that switch on to get there.
0: Does being at home and knowing that you're saying I've, I've been writing and writing a book? Does the family know when the light switches off and Dad's in his creative space?
1: No, I think it's you know I'm kind of ADD. I'm sort of all over the map, and I, I have to I have to create those spaces for myself. And there's just this precious time for us right before bed every day with the kids where. And Joe, Joe and Lily have kind of got into this habit. and And you know, I, I hope that I've been a part of developing this habit for them. But we just, you know, in the quiet of the day before they are off to bed, Joe will look at me really serious. So, Dad, what did you do today? How was your day? You know, and and he, and he's a very like old soul, very serious little kid, you know, and and he really wants to know what Dad did, and while well, Joe, you know, I had a couple of meetings and I did a few interviews today, and I was in the barn and, and creating some things. Hmm, that's really interesting. you know? I have to carve out time to be creative, and uh, it's, it's not like I'm saying to the kids or to Liz, "Okay, leave me alone for a while. I'm going, going out to my studio to do stuff." Right. I kind of carve those those times out, and it's weird. I've sort of developed this workflow where I will be in front of my computer, and I'll have my guitar in my lap. And I will be writing a song and then I'll go to do some emails and then I'll answer a text and then I'm on social media. And like, I'm just I'm like all over the map. You are, yeah. And it's become my workflow, you know, and, and for a while, every once in a while, you lose call to writing a chapter in the book. But uh, but then if, if I need to go cut the grass then I'm back on the tractor, you know, like it's, like <laughs> it's, all, it's all over. And, you know, and that can be refreshing, too. So it's kind of all over the map.
0: Or making an ice rink, right, PB?
1: That's right. I've been working on the ODR, on the outdoor rink, and, and uh, getting set up for this year. Because who knows if we're going to be able to be in, in ice rinks or not. So
0: we've got to have an option. So can you talk to me about the book? Or is that still a little bit quiet right now?
1: Uh, you know, I, I, would, I would say this much about it, I guess. I'm probably about five chapters in, and there are people who write books with ghostwriters writers, or with people who kind of help them to kind of put the structure together. I haven't been fast at this process, but I've wanted to challenge myself to be at least at least the first draft writer before I take it to anybody and let them kind of see what I, what it is I'm doing. This is sort of vignettes right now. There's stories. Each chapter is another story and a lesson that story has brought up for me in life, and it's it's varied. You know, it goes at anywhere from things that have happened in the music business to fishing trips that I took with my uncle and my dad when I was a kid and the things that I learned from that. You know, I I don't I don't want to, you know, position myself as a know it all in any way, but I do feel like I have a real passion to be a mentor. And I really enjoy being able to share the things that I've learned with other people. And you know, I, I don't like it when people come and ram advice down your throat. Um, um, but um, but if people are interested in knowing about some of the lessons that I've learned, I'd like to be able to provide some of those things uh, through a book like this. And, and so, you know, I think the overarching theme in this is perseverance. Mm. This industry has been such a lesson in just showing up. you know. I mean, 25, 30 years in the music business, the only way you get that far into this business is by showing up every day, no matter what. And this book kind of opens up a little bit of those those types of ideas. So yeah, I'm excited to be able to start to share it more as we go, but I've got to get at least 10 chapters in before I really uh, reveal everything that we're doing with
0: it. I like it. That's (laughs) awesome. So writing a book, are you also writing songs while you're at home with COVID?
1: Yeah, you know, not as much as I would like. And and I've been thinking lately that I'd like to jump into the studio a bit more. At the peak of what was going on with social isolation or physical distancing or whatever we're calling it these days, kind of locked myself in the studio for a while and and really enjoyed the process. Normally when I'm writing, I'll I'll have an idea for a song and then I'll grab the guitar and I'll sing and write at the same time. And this time I decided I would try and discipline myself to write the music first, using only samples, using audio samples, and try and, and bone up a little bit on my my technical expertise in recording. And so I was out there till two, three in the morning, you know, just, just writing and playing with stuff and messing around with different sounds. And one of the songs that i I was really proud of that i liked the way that it turned out was called dancing in the desert it's still you'll still be able to see it there was a broadcast that we did as a fundraiser online and then we recorded one of those virtual concerts and uh, we recorded we recorded some of the hits and some of the things that people have come to know me for like alberta bound and my heart has a history but also recorded this song dancing in the desert that has a very different feel and a different theme to it and it was sort of a commentary on on COVID and a hopefulness that was pulling me through all of it recorded it with my band some of the guys are in new york some are in nashville some are out in british columbia Pieced this thing together it was a lot of fun and it was great for all of us sort of in our own little worlds to you know forget about the pressure that it was putting on us to have to be isolated and remember the joy that we got from working together as a band so it was it was pretty special you know it didn't get Ton of views. The project that it was a part of didn't end up getting a ton of visibility, but it was a it was a really healing thing for for all of us, and a, I think a really good thing for us to dive into.
0: Hmm, I have to listen to that.
1: Yeah, I'll fire the link off to you.
0: Yes, please. So I don't know if you remember this. This was years ago. I sent you an email. I was going through something personally, and I said, you know what, Paul? When I was going through this, I listened to your song when you call my name. And you explained to me the meaning behind that song, which was even more profound for me. But knowing that you've written so many, and that is my favorite song of yours, knowing cool. that you've written so many songs, you I know you've probably been asked this many times. Do you have even a smidge of a favorite?
1: That's like that's like picking a favorite kid. You can't do that. That's hard, you know?
0: Come um, on. I- Give me one of
1: yeah there are attributes of certain songs i guess that probably closer to my heart than an other you know, the song you mentioned when you call my name is special to me one of the reasons i don't know if i shared with you was that that uh, i i was told by the record label that i was signed to that that song would never never amount to anything right <laughs> yeah yeah and and uh, and it ended up becoming one of our most popular songs off of the album small towns and big dreams mm-hmm. and so that was that was a reminder to me to kind of stick to your guns and do the things that you believe in because there are a lot of people around that'll tell you they're experts. But, but when it comes down to it, you, you really do have to listen to your gut. And, and that song reminds me of that. You know, Alberta Bound will always be special for me. And I think, think the reason is, as I traveled around the world singing in the early part of my career, you know, we were doing, like I mentioned earlier, 180 shows a year in a bus, traveling all over North America, flying over to play in Europe as well and through some of the philanthropy work we would travel to areas in Southeast Asia or Africa or South America and I'd have the guitar with me and be playing for people there was always this sense of it wasn't homesickness it was wow the more of the world that I see the more I realize what a special place Alberta is yeah and and it wasn't that kind of like pride of home as much as it was a realization that this is this is truly one of the most unique most beautiful places in the entire world. So that song, Alberta Bound, came from that sense of discovery or rediscovery of my home. There's nothing more true, I think, than that saying, you don't don't know what you have until it's gone, in relation to that song, especially. So there was always this sense that I needed to get back and be in Alberta. And when that resonated with people from here, from here in Calgary and across Alberta, that was rewarding. But when people who had never even heard of Alberta, the people who didn't even know what an Alberta was started, you know, started going, ah, I love this song. You know, that was, uh, that was cool because I think that it pointed out that there's something in all of us in our DNA that, that intrinsically always is seeing a better place right? and, and we want to be able to go there. And Alberta Bound is less about Alberta and more about that place, whatever it is to you. And so it resonated with people. And and, uh, so I, I love that when I'm on stage and, you know, we're singing along and everyone's singing the words, you know, that it's made that kind of a connection.
0: Absolutely. I know like when I lived in Boston for five years, it was during that time where I just became so Canadian proud. And I'm sure living in Nashville and as you traveled, as you said, you don't know what you appreciate or you don't know what you know until you actually go and live something differently. So I I completely get that. One of the questions I had also said to Ro that I was going to ask you was, I know you grew up with tapes and ghetto blasters. I totally know that. So I also know that you you were at the Calgary Stampede and sang a Garth Brooks song. Did you always love country or growing up? I think I know that you also loved Completely different genre. So what was in your ghetto blaster growing
1: up? well, ghetto blasters actually for me, didn't really come into into my world until I was probably about fourteen years old. So like when I was six years old, my parents started attending a church that was very legalistic, and there were no instru- there were no instruments allowed in this church. All of the music was acapella music, and we we didn't have a television until I was thirteen years old. We didn't listen to the radio. We didn't listen to recorded music. There were one or two artists that we were kind of allowed to listen to. And so it was, it was very restrictive. I've often looked back at that and wondered, what did that do to my creative development? You hear so many artists are like, oh man, like, you know, with the passing of Van Halen here recently, I never yes. would have got into, you know, I would have never got into guitar unless I you know listened to his music. Yeah, and for me, it wasn't that. It was more about words. I loved I loved poetry from an early age. I wrote poetry, was fascinated by words, total word nerd. And then uh, when I was 13 years old, I got my first guitar. My parents stopped attending that church and they started going to another place where instruments were okay. I realized that the poetry that I'd been writing actually, when I placed it next to the music that I was learning, they were actually songs. And I didn't even know that's what was happening, but it just all kind of organically came together. And so, you know, this was before the ease of, of recording. You know, you can record anything right. on an iPhone even now, right? So what I would do is take, I would take two different Ghetto Blasters, and I would take a, a recordable cassette tape, and I would oh, put yeah. it in one and I would sing my song that I'd just written, and then I would play that back and play parts to it while recording on the second Ghetto Blaster. And and so what was hilarious is what I didn't know, I mean, I was trying to do multi-track recording before I even knew that that was a thing. But, yeah. But, but But the problem is, is that every time you do that, every generation of recording, it slows it down just a little bit okay. because of the way that the tape machines work and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, uh, one of them sounded really good, but then after two or three recordings with different parts on it, it was like, this is a nightmare, you know? And, and 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 I guess for me, as I developed that love for music and as I got older, the bands that were coming out at that time were In Excess, yeah. U2, you know, Richard Marx. I'll Be here, Right Here Waiting For You was a major hit during that time. time. The The theatrical... Uh, movie, uh, uh, beaches was mm-hmm. huge at that time. Right. And, and Bette Midler and her, and her music and what was going on there. And I was starting to kind of get into that world. And then Garth Brooks blew up right? and then, the, and then, and then country music kind of went crazy at that time. And so I was all about Clint Black, Dwight Yoakam, Alan Jackson, you know, Garth Brooks, and uh, I entered this talent contest at the Calgary Exhibition in Stampede. That changed everything for me. I did my best Garth Brooks impersonation. I sang uh, "Friends in Low Places" and the I dance. And that was kind of the thing that that started record companies noticing what it was I was doing. And I had one judge in Memphis at a talent contest. He, uh, I, I, I performed the Garth Brooks cover, and I was wearing a Garth Brooks shirt. And he saw through all of that and he said, do you write your own music? This is after the contest. I said, yeah, I do. He said, I just want to tell you one thing, you have something special and you should only do your own music. Hmm. And and that guy changed my life. I had the confidence all of a sudden to say what I felt like was in my heart. And I started recording my own music and singing my own music pretty much exclusively from that moment on. And that changed everything. I think, I think the record companies really started to take me more seriously as an artist then. And that was because of all those days with those crazy ghetto blasters playing away and, and, and that background that I had that was maybe a little bit unique and more sheltered. But it ended up putting me, I think, in a really good place.
0: Being parents, and did your mom and dad see you playing away with these ghetto blasters and go, OK, this is just a thing he's going through? Or did they go, wow, like I did they know that this was as important as that you believed it would be?
1: Yeah they always kept one foot in in reality and they were pretty good at kind of spanning the practical and then the dream. Right. And so they always really encouraged me get something you can fall back on, you know. And my dad's a paramedic, he just yeah. retired in the last few years. My mom's a registered nurse, and so there was a lot of interest in our family related to the medical profession. I had always dreamed that someday I would be a doctor. That was really my goal. I wanted to be a pediatrician. And I thought a good way to do that would be to become a registered nurse and work at a children's hospital and kind of, kind of see it from that discipline and learn as much as I could from that standpoint, I wanted to work in ICU and I wanted to be a flight nurse. I wanted to work uh, with stars and I I actually, I literally got the job in ICU and I got a record deal offer in the same week and I had to decide what I was going to do. But I was glad that I had that, that option because my parents had said, look, it's great that you have passion for music it's a a whole like that's it's like winning the lottery if you get a chance to actually do that so make sure you have a real job right like music's not a real job right i think that was really great advice because this business we've learned this during covid if you can't pivot if you don't have other ways of bringing in income and you can't figure out different ways of making it work in the music business you're dead in the water yeah and and you know, I, my band, the guys that work with me have all been in the business. Most of them are 25 to 30 year veterans in the music industry. They all have other things that they lean on, even after being in the business for that long and playing on some of the, you know, the, the biggest recordings that anyone has ever heard. Mm-hmm. These guys are very, very talented, but you can't put all your eggs in one basket. So as a parent, if I had to talk to my kids or other up and comers about this, I would say keep one foot in the practical world, pursue your dream and go all in with it. That's great. But make sure you're taking care of business at the same time, you know, and and, uh, that you have something practical to fall back on. Do it because you love it. That's really the main reason to do it. Even if you never make a penny doing it, you you need to be able to be in a position where you can do it because you love it.
0: Does Lily or Joe have any musical interests?
1: Yes, they're crazy with music, and and we we've tried not to push it. Like I don't want to be. This is what I did, so this yes, is what you're gonna yeah. do, we're kind of kind of a parent. But they approach music from very different uh, standpoints. Joseph really takes after Liz in that he has a very linear practical way of thinking. Uh, She has a degree in pure mathematics and so she's very logical and binary in the way that she thinks. And so Joe is kind of the same way. And so he wants to see the music in front of him so that he knows what to play. So we have to push him more towards the creative and he's getting into that, right? Lily doesn't want to know anything about theory. She's not like, you really have to push her to get into the notes, but she will sit down and write like a 26 page story or she will break into a song that she's just written in her head or write poetry. And she's all about that, that creative push. And you need both. You really need both, I think, to, to be successful in music. But usually creatives, or especially musical creatives, lean one way or the other. And I would say that they're on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to music, and, and they both love it very, very much. So that's exciting for me and Liz to see because we both love music so much. And whether it ends up becoming a career path for them or not, we want that to be able to be something they can use to express themselves. And that's been exciting to see them develop.
0: Watch out if they enter a Stampede Talent Contest. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that would be awesome. Okay, so you have transcended country stardom, become a national thought leader. We haven't even gotten into humanitarian efforts and not my city. And I would love to touch on that if that's okay for you. And then we can... We can bring it back home. But you know, I remember you coming into my boardroom and you saying, I have this initiative, Shauna, we need to promote it. And it was not in my city. So it's been a few years now, you've moved it across the country. It's also a really important mandate right now, given COVID. And I see on Instagram, that things are really being talked about given this, but where are you going right now with not in my city?
1: Well, you know, I think one of the things that I've always appreciated about working with with you and working with Brookline is is that you see your platform and your space in the community as in, in some ways sort of a billboard. You're good at making noise and getting people to notice things. And at the same time, you always keep a finger on the pulse of what's going to be best for this community. And I, I really appreciate that because that's that's the way that I've tried to approach my career as well. I put this cowboy hat on and I write some songs and it's really fun, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is how can I use this to do something that's gonna actually positively impact people's lives. And my wife Liz and I were exposed to the issue of human trafficking about 15 years ago on a trip that we took internationally. We started to educate ourselves and learn more about how uh, trafficking happens in Canada. You know, trafficking, it, it can be seen as being a complicated issue, But really what it is is people in a position of power exploiting people who are vulnerable and making money from that. It truly is modern day slavery. We started an initiative, really it's a facilitative initiative. We don't think that the world needs more anti-human trafficking organizations. There are a lot of them. What needs to happen is they need to share the same definition of human trafficking. They need to share data and they need to be communicating together on behalf of human trafficking victims. Most people don't know that human trafficking takes three different forms. The most prevalent form is sex trafficking. The next would be labor trafficking, where people are exploited for their labor. And there's a lesser known type of trafficking that we are seeing happen more and more in the world, and that's the issue of of organ trafficking. It's crazy to even think about this, but there there are full genocides that are occurring in the world today where people groups are being killed for their organs, so that people from developed countries can have access to those organs when they need them and it's it's mind blowing really what it comes down to is how are we as a society going to value human life do we have intrinsic value from the moment that we're born and so these these issues are big issues to talk about and we developed not in my city to try and educate people about this issue to have the conversation have the hard challenging conversation Um, but also to be able to educate people so that they they will be aware of these issues. And you mentioned how human trafficking is becoming more talked about during COVID. Right. The reason for that is that children are being exploited online because they're online so much right now, and they're online often unsupervised. And people who would exploit, uh, especially sexually exploit children, or also put them into a position where they could actually make money off of exploiting them, are looking for kids online who are on video games. They'll approach them through video games, through social media. And uh, this is something that parents have to be vigilant about, have to understand the dynamics of all of these things. And we have resources at notinmycity.ca that could help people to you know learn more about how to protect their kids and make their kids tech safe so that they're aware of these issues going on uh, during COVID. This journey with Not In My City has taken me to a place now where I'm chairing a task force for the uh, Alberta government for province in the fight against human trafficking, trying to help this current government to take the nine point plan that our premier Jason Kenney has put together in the fight against human trafficking in Alberta and provide recommendations on how to do that even better. And that's been an interesting journey for me. I never thought the guy with the cowboy hat would be chairing a task force. I saw um, that, Well uh, love that. Um, I'm learning a ton and, and uh, it's been great. We have a great, very uh, talented, dynamic task force and great team that are bringing recommendations together, working with police forces across the province and also you know, frontline workers. We're starting education programs and it takes a ton of time and work behind the scenes, but it's exciting because I know it's going to make our community safer as people have the conversation, this tough conversation about human trafficking. And we've been busy with that. And I appreciate you giving me a chance to kind of talk a little bit about that. If anyone's interested in this, I just would really encourage you to go to notinmycity.ca or check out the work that we're doing on any of the social platforms with Not In My City to learn more about this issue. Education is key. People who are trafficking others in Canada make an average of $280,000 a year per victim. This is a multi-billion dollar a year industry, and most people don't even know that it exists. It's the fastest growing crime in Canada today. And the only way that we're going to be able to stop him and and fight against it is if we educate ourselves and have these tough conversations. There was a time where the conversation about wearing seatbelts or drinking and driving or smoking, these were were challenging conversations for society to have. But now we just understand, well, of course, we wear seatbelts. You know, well, of course, smoking can kill you. Well, of course, we don't drink and drive or text and drive. Well, you know, it's important for us to start to have this conversation increasingly about how selling people is not okay. It seems like a no-brainer to me, but we still need to make some strides to get all of society on board with this.
0: I appreciate you talking about that. Thank you. I have three quick questions to ask you. First thing that comes to mind, and then we're going to wrap this up. Biggest career highlight.
1: Playing for the Queen of England. Ooh.
0: <laughs> most prized possession.
1: That's a tough one. I don't. Nothing really pops into my head.
0: Okay. Something about yourself that would surprise people. You can't say introverted.
1: It's the same, a bit of the same idea we talked about. I'm not a risk taker by nature. And I think people see me as this guy, crazy guy who's like, you know, jumping on zip lines and riding motorcycles and going on tour. But those are things I really have to push myself to get to.
0: Okay. So last question. What is next for Paul Brandt?
1: I wish I had a crystal ball. I I wish I knew. Uh, I think that's the thing that keeps me waking up in the morning is that every single day, trying to stay in the moment and ask the question, what's next? I I'm not I drive everyone that I work with crazy because I don't plan way out in the future. Generally, um, I like to be in the moment as much as possible. So I don't know. I, I'm excited to see what it's going to be tomorrow. I'll wake up and go. What can we do with this moment um, to bring the world something that it needs?
0: Awesome. We probably could add author to this soon, though.
1: Yeah, could be. Could be. Okay. We'll see. See if anyone's interested in this book I'm working
0: oh, on. Oh, I'm sure they would be. Paul, it was so much fun chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Great to get caught up.
0: It was really good to get caught up. And I'm hoping to see you one day and give you a kind of a fist pump because that's well needed.
1: That would be, be awesome. That would be, be great. Whatever we get, we can do the live long and prosper sign. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Whatever uh, we need to do.
0: Say hi oh. to the family. Let me know when that ice rink is ready. We'll be over.
1: Yeah absolutely come on you're welcome okay
0: thank you so much Take take care that was so much fun talking to paul Brandt today and again that was episode two of our second season of beyond pr and don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts